0: Market discovery is a process of discovering and amplifying a weak signal, and our tools should help us do that instead of just making us use our big heads for it. No matter how smart we are, our big heads are not gonna remember an offhand comment somebody made six months ago that happens to tie perfectly into the comment I just heard five minutes ago from a different customer. This means that a connection is not made, and that means that a new route to creating value in the world isn't discovered, and that means that everybody suffers a little bit, including us, because that new value never exists whereas with a tool it's possible that that connection could have been surfaced. Four, three, two, one, we have ignition. Welcome to episode 313 of all the responsibility none of the authority the podcast for product managers product marketers, innovators, founders, and everyone who is working to create more value in the world with products. I'm your host, Nils Davis. Today's episode is two sections, both in the form of little rants, or maybe you can call them opinion pieces or editorials, on product management tools and some of the opportunities that I feel are currently being missed in that space. Now, as you may know, I'm kind of a tool guy myself. I am such a tool guy that not only will you hear me talk about my actual power tools in this episode but I was also the product manager for a tool for product managers for seven years. Now, this tool I managed was pretty good. I still miss it every day as product management tools go. Unfortunately, it is no longer with us due to the company failing because some executives had a better idea, air quotes audible I hope, for a different product that ended up, well, not being successful. In this episode, I'm going to share two ways of thinking about tools and product management tools in particular that I hope give you some new ways to think about not only product management tools, of course, but also about what we do as product managers and even the nature of tools, so lots of stuff going on. You can get show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 313, including links to some of the articles I mentioned, and you can also leave me a comment, sign up for the email list, and find other episodes from the podcast at that site as well. The first thing I want to talk about is some of the annoying and sort of difficult things that we have to do as product managers. There's two particular common situations from my experience that I have been thinking about and that I think make a good example of some of the things that product management tools could help us do these things more easily. The first one is sometimes I get features that are only partially implemented, or for some reason I can't complete a whole feature. Maybe I've got a requirement defined. It's got a whole feature or maybe a, a, a module. You could think about it. And... I can't get it fully implemented with respect to the original story or or requirement that I've written. And this can happen for a lot of different reasons, not all because my nefarious product dev team overcommitted or that they're slow or otherwise terrible, which they aren't, Uh, but it also might not fully be my fault either. For example, I might find out as the story is under development that one half of the story actually delivers a lot of value on its own and Even though the other half of the story is is appealing or adds really great delighter capability, it would make a lot of sense for us to get the first half out to the market quickly. Or maybe during development, I realized that there was a new use case that I hadn't thought of before that the first half of the story addresses really well. And again, I can get a lot of value to market fast by prioritizing that part, part of the story and I can finish the rest later. Or another thing that has happened to me before is I had a production escalation that required the team's attention for a while and so I have to reduce the scope of what I'm delivering right away so I peel away the nice to have parts or maybe the delighter parts of the story and focus on getting the table stakes portion to market now I lose out on some differentiation that I had hoped to have but on the other hand I kept the wheels on for the company by responding to the emergency effectively and I'm still getting some value to the market pretty soon and the remainder I'll prioritize for later, or maybe I'll just do that next. But the bottom line is I'd really like my tool to understand, sort of in its guts, that this is a thing that happens when you're working on a feature. That a requirement can be partially implemented, leaving some of it not implemented, and that I probably need some help decomposing that requirement so that the remaining parts can be prioritized later and put back in the backlog. So. Let's talk a little bit about solutioning. I like, to talk, I like to try to stay in problem space, but let's talk a little bit about what a solution to this might look like in, the, in a tool. So maybe I would get a wizard that guided me in decomposing the requirement. In fact, it would even help me understand if I was ready to close the requirement, irrespective of if I had to decompose it or not. So it might start with questions like, is this requirement 100% completed? If I say no, then it asks, is it partially completed? And if so, what part? And what's the value proposition of that part? Because I always want my features to have a value proposition. There's some problem that my feature is solving and it's solving it for some segment of my customer base or my target market. And it's better in some way than their alternatives. And that alternative might be the way that they had to do this capability in my tool without the feature, or it might be some others, competitors, feature, whatever it might be. I want to actually have articulated the value proposition of the thing I'm building. But if I'm going to decompose my story and only deliver part of it, I want to have the value proposition for the part I'm delivering and probably the value proposition for the part that's not yet delivered. So another question would be, do you want to take any of the existing requirement and turn it into a new requirement for implementing later? And you can think of other questions that this wizard might ask. Now I'm using the term requirement you can think of it as epic, or story, or whatever term you might use. But essentially, it's the idea of of a big, of a set of functionality that's going to go together and make sense in terms of delivering some value to the customer as a whole, or potentially as two different components. So, of course, I also want the tool to maintain the relationships in the process of doing this. So, the new requirement should be related to the original requirement, and the relationship should probably be along the lines of an enhances relationship because i'm i'm delivering the table stakes part or part of the value and the part that i'm not delivering yet is going to enhance the, the part that i delivered or maybe it's a delighter relationship because what i didn't get done usually is again it's the nice to have portions not the table stakes now we always think well we don't need we never get to prioritize nice to have stuff. But the fact is that oftentimes the nice to have stuff is what differentiates your your product. If you're if you're in a space with with competitors and you're all delivering table stakes, well, the table stakes are the table stakes. Those are the mo- those are the things that you have to have. Everything else is nice to have, but it enables you to tell a story about differentiation. That's one common but annoying situation that I have to do in my experience. And in fact I actually had to do this two weeks ago in my actual job. We found one part of the of a, a story that was very coherent when I originally wrote it was much harder to implement and wasn't going to make it, be able to make it for the target release. So we've cut it, we've split it out, we're going to target it for the next release. And so I just literally did this last week. But of course, my tool doesn't do any of this management. All it does is it lets me clone the existing story, and then I have to do a bunch of editing. It clones all the relationships, but not all those relationships are right. And of course, it doesn't have the relationships that I'm interested in, like to customers and things like that. It's something that happens to me. Perhaps you don't have this experience, and you always get your stories completely done, or you decompose them so much before you get started that this never happens. If that's the case, I'd love to hear about that in the comments. So please feel free to leave me a comment at three one three. Moving on though, to another situation that happens to me all the time. And this is where I have to write a data sheet or release notes for the feature. Why do I have to go to a separate application to do this? Why can I not do this within my tool? At least write the blurb that's gonna be used then in various different places, like in the data sheet, in the release notes, on the web page. I have to go to Word to do it, or I send an email, or there's a separate wiki page. And then, of course, that all has to be harvested for eventual use in whatever, wherever it ends up. And I've always felt like when we're creating our requirements or our stories or our feature specifications, part of what we should be doing in that process is, well, it's related to what Jeff Bezos is famous for saying. I think it was Jeff Bezos. Write the press release first. Write the story that you want to be able to tell about this feature as part of the specification for the feature. There's a lot of reasons for doing this. It helps the dev team get an understanding of the problem that they're solving. It actually enables you to go out and do some testing of the feature before you have anything implemented just by describing it to the target market. It enables you to tell the story better when you're trying to get this feature funded by the executive team, whatever it might be. I've always been surprised that our tools don't help us articulate these things we have to do it ourselves, we have to remember to do it, which means we almost never do it. But if the tool would, could support us in that, that would be really spiffy. Now, that blurb is going to be very different from what we write for the developers to work from, although they may refer to it. You know, it's not, it's not the same as acceptance criteria. It's not the same as a specification. It's the customer-oriented view of what this feature is. And as I say, it, in my experience, it rarely gets written down until it's time to go do the release notes or the data sheet. And then it would really be better if it had been done sooner. So I think the tools should have a place to put this. And then perhaps even a way to actually take all of these data sheet draft blurbs, put them together for any particular release based on the features that are allocated to that release. That would be pretty spiffy. You know, the the reason I mention these things, both of these examples, is that You know, as product managers, we have to do these things anyway. I do them all the time. And often I try to sort of do them in my head, which means that the next thing that I have to pay attention to causes this one to drop on the floor, which means that I have to rediscover it later. And I have to then reset my whole mental mindset again, which is a great cognitive cost. Now, since I have to do these things anyway, I kind of want my tool to become not just the capture spot for it, which is which is. Step one for sure, but even to prompt me to do these things that I know I have to do anyway. And it also I want the tool to provide the right semantics to capture this information and probably to remind me that I that it needs to be captured because after all, I am a product manager, which means I have a very big head and big brain. And so I will remember. That's what the thoughts that go through my head, which of course I don't actually remember. And so there's so much of that stuff that falls on the on the floor. And if, the, if we had some tool support, less of it would fall on the floor. I'm not saying that tools magically enable us to get all the things done that we want. That's obviously one of the things we do as product managers is we know how to prioritize what things we can allow to, get, to drop on the floor and which things are not allowed to drop on the floor. But my belief is that with better tools, we would have less stuff falling on the floor and we'd be able to manage that better. So let me talk a little bit more about tools in general. So that's two examples of things that I wish tools did. But let's talk about tools in general. And the reason I'm bringing that up is that I have written some articles about tools for product managers and things like that. And so for quite a while, this was quite a while ago, a few years ago, one of my readers commented on one of my articles. And he said, if I think it was a he, if we think that having better or easier tools will make us more effective product managers, we may be fooling ourselves. We should be spending 80% of our time understanding, measuring, and tracking how our solutions impact our customers' bottom line. For that, we need very few tools. And so that's, that was his comment. Although amusingly, he did go on to recommend a tool, which I thought was kind of funny in the context of we don't need tools. That, and his tool focused on measuring this customer value. Not a bad thing. Certainly an interesting perspective. And I can't argue that we need to focus on customer value. Of course we do. That's what we're delivering out there in the world. But I do have to say that I am really essentially 100% opposed to this idea of not having tools and of tools not being important. It is true that tools don't in themselves solve problems. But on the other hand, it's clear that better quality tools, and especially certain types of tool innovations, often lead to better quality or totally new solutions. And there's a billion examples. But I will give you an example from a domain that I know of, which is, as I mentioned at the beginning, I am a tool person, I'm a woodworker, and so I have some woodworking tools. I'm a kind of an amateur one, I'm not that highly skilled, and one of my tools is a cheap table saw. And if you don't know what a table saw is, well, it's a, it's a big piece of equipment. Even mine, which is cheap and small, is, you know, probably weighs 100 pounds, and it's got a motor and a saw, and you could cut your fingers off with it if you weren't careful. And so don't do that. That would be my advice. Table saws are an important part of the process of building, for example, kitchen cabinets. So if you were to go to a cabinet maker shop, you would see a big, fancy, expensive, powerful table saw. You, mar- you might even see multiples of those. And, of course, mine is a cheap, small, low-powered one. So I could use my table saw to build some kitchen cabinets... But the combination of my tool and my skill would mean those kitchen cabinets would probably be kind of crooked. But it's not just me and my skill. Even if I were an expert, my cheap table saw would limit me in terms of how I could build good kitchen cabinets compared to having a good quality table saw. A good quality table saw, if I were an expert, would allow me to build faster. It would be more accurate. It would result in less waste because one of the things that happens with a cheap table saw is you ruin stuff. And so on and so forth. The point is having better tools and, of course, being experts in using them makes you much better at at doing the thing that you're trying to do. Or it can can do that. Not guaranteed, but if you want to be an expert cabinet maker, you have to have a good quality table saw to make good cabinets. For a great perspective on this, I suggest reading Doug Engelbart's Riff on the Pencil as a Tool. So this is a great 1962 paper he wrote, uh, where he first described what he called the augment system, which was a computer-aided system for learning and collaborating, which the World Wide Web is kind of a pale imitation of. And he, in this paper, he compared the way the pencil exists today with ways that the pencil might have evolved and showed how a different evolution of the pencil might have resulted in a very different set of thing, outcomes. He wrote about an experiment that he and some people in his lab did to sort of come up with an example of how the way tools are formed and the the quality of the tools can really impact the type of work that gets done. So Doug wrote, We fastened a pencil to a brick and experimented. With the brick pencil, we are slower and less precise. If we want to hurry the writing, we have to make it larger. Also, writing the passage twice with the brick pencil tires the untrained hand and arm. How would our civilization have matured if this had been the only manual means for us to use in graphic manipulation of symbols? For one thing, the record-keeping that enables the organization of commerce and government would probably have taken a form so different from what we know that our social structure would undoubtedly have evolved differently. Also, the effort in doing calculations and writing down extensive and carefully reasoned argument would dampen individual experimentation with sophisticated new concepts, which would lower the rate of learning and the rate of useful output and perhaps discourage a good many people from even working at extending understanding. I think that is an amazing quote, an amazing concept from one of the most amazing minds in computing. If you're not familiar with Doug Engelbart, I will put some links in the show notes, but he was one of the real innovators in computers back in the 60s. I will put a link to his very well-known mother of all demos in the show notes. This was done in, the, in the, a demo done in the 1960s that presaged a huge amount of the stuff that we use every day now on computers 50 years later. Kind of amazing that this all happened 50 years ago. In fact, even if it happened 30 years ago, it still would have been incredible. But 50 years ago, that's really long. But moving on, I'm just saying that a pencil tied to a brick, I think, is an apt description of most of the current tools that we product managers have available. This is particularly true if, like me, you're using tools that aren't specifically designed for product managers. But it's also surprisingly true of many of the product management-specific tools themselves, with a few exceptions, luckily. So I've talked in other podcasts, and there's some links in the show notes, about characteristics our product management tools should have. For example, since so much of what we do is based on market discovery, talking to customers, it would make sense for our tools to have some sense of a customer or market, and maybe an idea from the market. Also, as I've always said, market discovery is a process of discovering and amplifying a weak signal, and our tools should help us do that. I have lots of ideas for how this could be done. Again, I'm solutioning at this point. Instead of just making us use our big heads for it. So luckily, product managers do have big heads as a general rule. I mean, big brains. Maybe we have some big heads too. But no matter how smart we are, our big heads are not going to remember an offhand comment somebody made six months ago that happens to tie perfectly into the comment I just heard five minutes ago from a different customer. This means that a connection is not made, and that means that a new route to creating value in the world isn't discovered. And that means that everybody suffers a little bit, including us, because that new value never exists. Whereas with a tool, it's possible that that connection could have been surfaced. Because the tool might remember six months ago just as well as it remembers five months ago. It might be able to make that connection or help us find that connection. As I show with these two sort of stories, the stories of the hard things that we do that would be nice to have tool support for, and the story of the pencil tied to a brick, there's a lot of room for improvement in our tools, if you follow the metaphor. I'd be very interested in hearing your thoughts about product management tools especially successes you've had with them. I'd love to hear about that. And, of course, if you've struggled, I'd like to hear about that as well. You can leave comments on the podcast show page, which are at alltheresponsibility.com slash 313. You can find a few links, including the ones to Doug Engelbart's amazing work and a few of my other articles and podcast episodes about product management tools. I hope you found this discussion about product management tools interesting. If you did, please like and or rate the podcast and the podcast episode on your favorite podcast player or on iTunes. Please consider leaving a comment, ask a question, follow me on Twitter at N-I-L-S-I-E. You can find all this stuff on the show notes, of course. And until next time, this is Nels Davis signing off. Bye-bye. nation